I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is author Tia Graham. She's author of Be a Happy Leader, Stop Feeling Overwhelmed, Thrive Personally, and Achieve Killer Business Results. Inspiring readers to prioritize and elevate their personal happiness and create lasting career success through an easy-to-follow eight-step methodology, Tia Graham teaches leaders to lead positively, put their people first, and create engaged teams which lead to higher productivity and profit. She shows the reader how to be the type of boss that people want to work for while also motivating leaders to make their personal well-being a top priority and shows them how to be both positive and successful in their organization. She's the founder of Arrive at Happy. Her insights have been featured in national publications like Forbes, Mind Body Green, The Los Angeles Times, Well and Good, and Yoga Journal. Welcome to the show, Tia. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Well, happy is the key word, right? We're happy to be here, happy to be talking, and we're going to be talking about be a happy leader. Uh, all right, let's talk about being happy in in the uh, being a happy leader. Of course, is in the context of a happy community, a happy individual, uh, just being happy in general, right? So. Uh, what yes. does this kind of yeah? What does this happiness mean? Tell us about that. Be a happy leader. What does it teach us to do? Yes. So the first step is start with you. So in order to create a happy team, have great results, and and be you know like you said the type of leader that people want to work for, you yourself need to prioritize your well being and make choices to create and sustain happiness. So happiness is having a commitment to joy and a commitment to purpose, but it's also about accepting that life has peaks and valleys. I say, you know, a happy life is not one void of pain. What I put about in the book is practical proven strategies and tools that are based on the science of happiness and neuroscience to support people to create a happy and content life. Science of happiness, that's the key word, at least for me, because I hear, as you know, there are a lot of people uh, writing books about being happy, and they've done it for a long time. So uh, your approach, is it different than the other happiness approaches that are out there that want us to be happy and engage in the way that you're talking about? Yes, and I'll, it, what it is, my, the approach to happiness that I have is that I have always been a positive, optimistic happy person. I've had ups and downs just like every other human, but I have created and designed and lived my life prioritizing happiness. And throughout my whole life, people have asked me, how do you stay so happy? Where do you get this energy from? And so I've known from a very young age that, you know, I was put on earth to help other people. So that's the first of that. It's authentic. I am, I am walking this walk every single day. And for the past five years. I've been researching positive psychology and neuroscience, so it's backed by research. And prior to this research, I led teams for 14 years in the hotel industry and year after year was a very positive, uplifting leader, one where people would not leave if a competitor called. And so based on my personal experience, leadership experience, and research, this is a, my, a unique approach to looking at happiness. 
I know one of the things that that you've uh, mentioned, uh, you know, I'm I'm reading about you and it says that uh, you've helped a lot of global companies to, uh, I guess, be happy companies. And one of them was Four Seasons. And I have to say, that's one of my favorite places to go to because it is a happy, (laughs) it is a happy company and they provide really, it's a a great resort. I I know I'm kind of giving a plug for them, but uh, it just struck me because uh, that's one of the companies that you have uh, worked, I guess, closely with, right, in your um, yes, yes. Four Seasons is is definitely one of the leaders of in the hospitality industry of really taking care of their people, and then their people really take care of their guests. Yeah. And and they create that kind of an atmosphere. Uh, and I think it's yeah. pretty consistent around the world. At least that's been my experience. But um, yeah. So you said you've always been a happy person. So and then you're connecting that to the neuroscience. But do you have to be are some people born a happy just be, because of their chemical makeup um, or right? Yeah. Yeah. And so you do you know, great one, question. Yeah. Yes. So the research shows that our genetic history and, you know, our, our makeup absolutely play a part. So I, I say I definitely got some of my happy genes from my dad. He's a very happy go lucky guy, um, but it's not all of it. So, the research shows on average um, our genetic history plays about 50% into our sort of personality and how happy we are. That's on average. For some people, it could be higher. Some could be lower, of course. And then our life circumstances, you know, whether you're a farmer with 10 kids living in rural China or you're a single lawyer in Manhattan, your life circumstances also play a part, but oh, not that much. So, again, that's about 10% on, on, on average. What is a huge part of our happiness are our daily choices. So, you know, approximately 40%, and now again, everything's interconnected, but approximately 40% are based on our choices, which means that we have so much within our control every single day. And there are choices that we make that can increase our happiness, and then there are choices that you know, could do the opposite. And so throughout the, throughout the book and, and when I work with companies, I give a lot of proven choices saying, this is research-based. This is what you can do to increase your happiness. And by doing so, you will be more successful in all areas of life. What about those uh, examples where we don't have a choice? And how much do they impact us? Let's say somebody gets really sick. It's not their fault or Mm -hmm. a loved one gets sick Mm -hmm. or some, you know, catastrophic, the pandemic, for instance. Maybe we should take that. Uh, Yes. How... How does that fit in in terms of the choices that we make that, that can help us, first of all, be resilient and deal with those kinds of situations and then hopefully be happier? Uh, <laughs> right. Yes. So, I mean, of course, if you lose a loved one or, you know, going through this pandemic has been extremely difficult. So, um it is not at all, there should never be an expectation that someone can be happy and, you know, joyful and excited all the time. That's not the human experience, right? There's peaks and valleys. And so when, let's say, you're going through a pandemic, let's use the pandemic because it's so relevant. You're maybe feeling isolated. You haven't spent as much time with your friends and family. You're missing in person, you know, with work. There's a fear around health, et cetera. All of these is that, these are all difficult experiences, and because of those difficult experiences, you're going to have difficult emotions, whether that's fear, anxiety, stress, loss. You know, there are over 80 different 
painful emotion. So the first is accepting that it's difficult and then having a healthy relationship with those painful um, emotions. So let's say you're having a ton of stress. The last thing you want to do is ignore it, pretend it's not happening and just, you know, work nonstop, drink wine, watch Netflix and sort of like I'm stressed, but I'm just not going to deal with it. The science of happiness also teaches how to have a, how to make healthy choices when you're going through difficult times. And so um, the, there are choices. So for example, using that, right, you're, you're having a lot of stress. What you want to do is you want to talk to someone, whether it's a therapist, a friend, a coach, you want to be journaling, you want to be, you know, spending extra time in mother nature and so on. There's a lot of choices you can make to help you healthily deal with the difficult emotions. Um, It's not that they're going to go away, but there are absolutely choices that can support you to not stay in that low point as long and to not have the low be as deep. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm talking about because I'm thinking as you're describing yourself, I was born a happy person too. That's just my outlook. And I think I make good choices. And I think the pandemic is a good example um, just to go along with what you're talking about because it's sort of like the choices that I usually make, I can't make. I can't travel around the world like I used to. As I say, no one's going to feel sorry for me for not being able to do that. But it adds a whole lot of what I want to add to my life. I can't associate with people that I want to. I can't go out into the city in the ways that I used to. And so those were my good choices that worked. I can't go to school or whatever I wanted to do. So you're saying acknowledge right. that. Don't say, you know, don't, don't pretend that it doesn't exist and walk around with a happy face because that's not going to work. You really need to acknowledge the stress and make other choices that fit what, you know, the reality of what's happening to you. Is that it? Is that what? Yes. Yes, absolutely. And the, it's also our thoughts and our beliefs about all these emotions. You know, the, the neuroscience research shows that, for example, with this one emotion, stress, if you believe that stress is harmful to you, it actually can shorten your life. If you believe that stress is challenging, that you are going to be stretched, but you're going to be stronger because of it, right? We were talking about resilience, that just our belief about these painful emotions can have a positive or harmful effect on us. So it's, it's the mindset as well as the actions, you know, we take. So like I said, you know, spending time outside, it could also be doing yoga, meditating, making sure that you're doing FaceTime with your best friend once a week, even though you can't see him or her in person. There's, you know, so I, yeah, I just want to put that. It's also, it's also our belief and how we, how we approach this, the pain and the difficult challenges we're going through. I mean, that's critical. I think challenge is the word. View it as a challenge. And then if you view it as a challenge, that's upbeat. That helps you to, I think that for me, that helps me get through it. Uh, and because mm-hmm. I like challenges, you know, it's all not going to be great. I'm always not going to be able to do what I want to do when I want to do it. So challenge, challenge. I think that's that's a really, really, well, obviously positive way to approach it. Also, T, I know you said that one of the main things that keeps us happy uh, is human connectedness, that that's really the key. Mm-hmm. We have to be connected. Mm-hmm. How do we have to be connected? In what ways does that help our happiness quotient, I'm calling it? Yes, yes. So human connection is the number one predictor of happiness around the world, cross cultures, ethnicities, demographics. So what this means is 
spending time with people who you care about and who care about you. And, you know, the World Happiness Report that comes out every year has these Scandinavian countries at the top of the list. And they, you know, people in Denmark, Norway, Finland, they spend a lot of time on weekdays and weekends with friends and family. And so when you are looking at your own life or people listening and saying, okay, how much time am I spending with friends and family? And when I'm with them, am I present? And if I'm not feeling that happy and well, is this an area of my life that I can put more intention towards, you know? And so whether it's going for a walk outside with someone, whether it's doing a Zoom with five family members or, you know, there's, there's a lot of different ways that we can do human connection, but the more that we can connect, really connect with people, the happier we will be. And this also connects to our immune system and our physical health. So there's a lot of benefit. Um, and of course, this is why the pandemic has been so difficult for people. So, um, and, and in terms of work, I'll say one other thing, you know, the research shows that if you have a friend at work, that you are your happiness, your well-being, your productivity, your success, there are a lot of different metrics that go up. So it's both when we're working and then also in our personal life. So you talk about why leadership requires happiness. Um, and let's, let's talk about that more because we've kind of been talking about, not generalized, but talking about why we need to be happy first just as individuals. And uh, but mm-hmm. okay, so why does leadership require happiness? And if leaders aren't happy, what happens? Uh, how does that impact the yes. company? Yes. So uh, a phrase that I use a lot is the happiness imperative. It is vital. It is crucial that leaders are well themselves in order to motivate and lift up their team. So. A, a leader that is happy is going to be someone that is engaged and they are connected and the the positive result of this is that their team is going to be more creative and innovative. Our brains work differently when we are feeling positive and when we're happy. They are going to take better care of the customers and, you know, internal, the, the teamwork in, in terms of, in, sorry, inside the company as well. Um, positive leaders, everyone's talking about the great resignation, right? If you are a happy leader and you're engaged, there was just a study that came out that shows that someone has to give a 20% salary increase to recruit someone away from a happy, engaged leader. So you want your people to stay. This is, this is crucial. Um, and so those are just some of the benefits. If a leader is not happy, if a leader is not engaged and they are bringing negative energy and uh, emotions to work, then the, the team is going to have way less productivity. They are going to be um, not as creative at all. They're not going to, if, if there's a, let's, I used to lead sales teams for, for 15 years in hotels. So the, the sales professionals are not going to sell as much if the leader is not happy and well. Um, and so there's, there's a direct connection to business success, to business growth, and also a decrease on expenses. You know, um, people leave people. They don't leave companies. And the cost of recruitment and training and onboarding and, um, you know, all the, the 
intellectual loss when someone leaves is huge. And so I truly believe this needs to be the number one business focus is having happy leaders and then in turn having happy teams. Well, given that and given the pandemic and the situation we are in now and globalization and all technology and all this high stress environment that we live in, do we have to or would you recommend or do we have to make any changes? Because like you said, the great resignation, because left people are resigning as we're speaking, right? They're not staying in their jobs. They don't want to work for whatever reasons. Does there have to be a significant change? change in attitude, how we implement making happy leaders or, or not? Yes, there, you know, there's a, there are several silver linings because of this pandemic. And I believe the great resignation is one of them. I think it's, it's obviously very difficult on companies right now, but it is forcing executives to look at how they run their companies and the culture of their companies. So this is a massive opportunity to change work for the better in, you know, around the world. So everyone, you know, is, is wanting more autonomy and more flexibility over their lives. You know, the, the going into the office from sitting at a cubicle from eight to five is not working for a lot of people, right? Whether it's parents, et cetera. It's also about um, having more human connection, more empathy, more compassion for what the human experience is and not just looking at, okay, this is worker X or this is manager X. It's that they have a life outside of work and work needs to complement that. Another is that people are, demanding, and this isn't just younger generations, but, you know, it's coming a lot from younger generations, is people are demanding that companies focus more on purpose. What are they doing for the planet? How are they helping society? It's not just about, you know, GDP and how much we can produce out, you know, the output anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it is a wonderful positive opportunity for executives and leaders to look at how are we supporting the whole person? How are we having work allow people to flourish and thrive, not just as this employee, but as a human being as a whole? So do you have to convince leaders, and I assume you do, that these connections, these new kinds of connections, given the different kind of environment, uh, is going to help their bottom line? Because I'm assuming that's what what you have to deal with when you're talking to talk executives and you're, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Uh, they're going to say, well, so what is this going to do for me uh, in terms of the bottom line? I mean, I have to accommodate yes, to ab- all of the things that you just mentioned. Yes, absolutely. So when I am doing a discovery conversation with an executive or a group of executives at a company, we are talking numbers. I am asking, what is, what is the cost when someone leaves? What is the cost for you to recruit? You know, are your, are your sales numbers where you want them to be? And so we go through different, um, you know, different metrics and understand, okay, what, what is the current cost right now that's happening, whether it be turnover, disengagement, um, you know, if they're having trouble launching products or, you know, having that innovation that they really want. So that's where we start, you know, at the very beginning. And then, we talk about, okay, and what are, what are the goals that you want? You know, 12 months from now, what are these, 
You want to reduce turnover by 10%. Okay, what's that going to do to the bottom line? You want to grow sales by X. What's that going to do? So that's absolutely a place that we, that we start. And then we design, I, with, with their input of their, you know, how their company works, is come up with a leadership program. And at times I work with teams with um, everyone in the company, not just the leaders, on what do we need to teach the leaders and what do we need to teach the teams so that you have a culture of happiness and you understand how to have experienced happiness daily so that people thrive and leaders are not dealing with ongoing, unwanted turnover. What's the difference between conducting these meetings, uh, your meetings, say, with the leaders and employees of the company online, Zoom, as opposed to doing it in person? Yeah, so prior to the pandemic, everything I did was in person. I've been living on Zoom for the past two years, working with companies. Um, so I will say the what is not um, quite as high is the connection that they have with each other. You know, when it's like before and after. Let's say if I'm doing an executive retreat, you have that small chit-chat. You know, I would say a little bit of that is lost, but on Zoom and in these virtual programs, I try to create as much engagement, interaction opportunities as possible. But humans definitely miss, you know, hugging each other at the cost, you know, right before it starts. I would say that piece is, you know, people miss just like people are missing their friends and family. But besides that, in terms of leadership development, professional development, um, I've seen a lot of companies investing in this and moving forward, learning and growing and trying to be better. I'm, it's, it's really... Um, it gives me optimism for all the companies I've been working with over the past two years. And one of the companies, and this is big business, maybe I, they, we don't like to say it, but uh, uh, medicine is big business. Hospitals are big business. And they're running things differently. I know my own experience for having to, say, go to a doctor for the first time and sit in the waiting room and fill out forms for an hour and then wait another hour till I actually can see the doctor in person has changed to doing something on uh, uh, being able to connect with the office on Zoom, talking perhaps to their admin or nurses, asking me questions on Zoom, getting that all down, and having all the information and not having to go to the hospital and or, or the office uh, and wasting or feeling that I'm wasting my time. And then at the end, mm-hmm. being able to speak to the physician and make an appointment or not make an appointment. I don't know if that's a good example, but that's a whole change in the hospital business that I like. I mean, being able yes. to do that. Oh, yeah. I agree. I think telehealth is, is fantastic. Yes, absolutely. Um, yeah, there's several efficiencies um, and, and ways that, you know, we can connect with people and you know, something I personally love is, of course, I would do Zoom before, but I would also do a lot of phone calls. And now I, I, I would do video for every single meeting. And whether it's people in Europe or, you know, here in North America, when I meet people and, and seeing people's faces and, and you know, that there's, there's a connection that happens that I think is, is wonderful. And I, I honestly hope it stays. Yeah. Well, you talk about personal connection. I didn't add this to my story, but now if I go and see a physician and they have a mask on and I do and I'm seeing them for the first time, uh, I don't have that connection. That human connection is missing, but at least on Zoom, I can see them and they can see me. Right. 
And so that's not right. an issue or I'm not afraid of getting sick or they're not afraid of getting sick from me. So there are some positive, like you're just, you know, that do come out of this. Um, the other thing is, and uh, we don't have that much time left, but you talk about we, we have to have a holistic approach to all of this. I guess we have been talking about that, but let's make that connection. It's all, all, all a holistic approach to happiness is what we're aiming for. Yes, yes. And the holistic approach to personal happiness and then, you know, organizational happiness as well. So for, for personal connection, I studied with the Harvard professor, Dr. Tal Ben-Shahar, for a year, uh, learning about positive psychology. And he has this wonderful model. It's very simple called SPIRE, S-P-I-R-E. And so this is a, I would say anyone listening, write to this down because it's changed my life. And I teach it to others is, Think about your spiritual well-being. So the P is your physical well-being. So that's both your, your physical body as well as your mind, your psychological well-being. The I is intellectual well-being. So this is learning and growing. E is, emo- is uh, sorry, R is relational well-being, relationship you have with yourself as well as the relationship you have with others. And then the E is emotional well-being increasing the pleasant as well as having a healthy relationship and being resilient and, you know, seeing, seeing the difficult um, emotions as challenging as we were talking about earlier. So, and there are other different frameworks like this, but looking at your life and looking at all aspects, knowing that there are levers that you can pull to increase your well-being and happiness and by putting intention and by taking action, whether it's micro action or big action, that you can positively impact your life, that you are never, ever stuck, and that you can always improve your well-being on this, on, on the journey. And read your book, Be a Happy Leader, and then you will stop yes. feeling overwhelmed, <laughs> thrive personally, and achieve killer business results. So that's the whole goal. Great talking to you today and a lot of good information. Um, obviously, we we'll recommend the book, but uh, Tia, give us website and or websites that we can go to for more information because it's all out there uh, in terms of the work that you're doing. Um, So any? Yes. Yes. So my website is arriveathappy.com. If people want to go and learn directly about the book, you can go to happyleaderbook.com. And on there, there are bonuses and extra resources for everyone who who is interested in this book. And I also have a free challenge for anyone that just wants to to get a taste. And if you go to happyleaderchallenge.com, there's a four-part video series that um, is really there to inspire and teach people on this journey. So check out the free challenge as well, happyleaderchallenge.com. Great. Tia, thanks so much for being on the show today. Great talking to you, and good luck with the book. Tia Graham. Thank you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to The Catherine Zox Show. 